So if you've been with us for the last several weeks, the last three weeks actually, you'll know that we have been focusing on what it looks like to love like Jesus through the lens of the Sermon on the Mount. As a matter of fact, I've told you that loving like Jesus is kind of going to be our theme for uh, 2021. We want to know what it looks like to love as Jesus loves, but more than that, we want to learn how to how to love like Jesus loved. We've talked, you're probably sick of me talking about what Jesus said were his were the greatest commandments. He said those were to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So we know that love is important. As a matter of fact, if we follow the words of Jesus, we know that, that loving our neighbors is on the same level as loving God. And we want to know how to do that. And the way that we learn how to do that is we look to Jesus. Because Jesus is the character of God. As Paul writes, he is, the, he is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know what God looks like, if you want to know how God thinks, if you want to know how God views us, if you want to know how God loves us, you look to Jesus. You look to Jesus in the Gospels. You see how he moves in the world. You see how he talks to people. You see how he acts. More specifically, we are diving and learning how he acts and how he loves, again, through the lens of the Sermon on the Mount. And several weeks ago, we began to learn uh, how to love and how Jesus loves um, through some very difficult directives that Jesus gives us. We probably started off with what most of us would, would more than likely consider to be one of Jesus' hardest commandments, or hardest, most difficult directives for us anyway, and that is loving our enemies. We talked about Jesus directing us not to hate our enemies, but to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us, to pray for those who even harm us, to pray for those who hurt us. Not just to, not, not just to do this in a passive way, but to actively love through our words and through our actions. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the ideas of retaliation and revenge in the face of hurt or in, in the face of harm and how Jesus direct us, directs us not, not to repay an eye for an eye, but to repay uh, uh, evil with good, basically in the words of Paul from Romans chapter 12, that we don't seek revenge, that we don't seek retaliation in the, in the, in the face of hurt, in the face of harm, even in the face of violence. But we respond with gracious and life-giving love, gracious life-giving words, gracious life-giving actions, as difficult as that is. Last week, we talked about what it means or what it meant when Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount that we are the light of the world, that we are the salt of the earth, that we flavor our world, we flavor our communities, we flavor our atmospheres with the love of Christ. And that, and that as, as the light of Christ in the world, as, as the light of Jesus, that we dispel all the darkness that pervades our world, all the evil that pervades our world. More specifically, we talked about violence last week and how the light of Christ dispels the darkness of violence. So those are some ways thus far, and those are some not, not so easy ways for our human nature. And we've talked about that. We've discussed that. And... 
we've come to the conclusion, however, that this may not be our ways. This may not be our ways, but these are the ways of Jesus. This is how Jesus loves. This is how Jesus shows us to love and how he, how he directs us to love one another in what may seem some very, some very odd ways to us. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to take a little bit of a break from the Sermon on the Mount. But we are going to tie our scriptures today into, uh, into um, we're going we're gonna to tie what we've talked about thus far in the Sermon on the Mount into today's scripture. And, how, and, and we're going to tie it into, again, how we respond to these very difficult directives of Jesus that we do find in the Sermon on the Mount. I hope that makes sense. We're not going to be focusing on the Sermon on the Mount this week, but we're, what we're going to do is we're going to be tying what, the scripture that we're utilizing today in how we do respond to these very, very difficult directives of Jesus. Specifically, specifically what we're going to be looking at today is we're going to be looking at how Jesus' how Jesus's earliest disciples, how the ones that we are told were the very first ones that he called, how they responded when Jesus came to them and he said, follow me. So if you have a Bible, you can turn over to the Gospel of Mark. If you have a Bible handy or if you have a uh, Bible app uh, that you have access to, we are looking at the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, verses 14 through 20. Mark chapter 1. Verses 14 through 20. So starting in verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news or repent and believe the gospel as Jesus walked beside the sea of Galilee he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen come follow me Jesus said and I will send you out to fish for people and at once they left their nets and they followed him And when he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. So I want to give you a little bit, just a little bit of background here. If you happen to recall back during Advent, we talked about... John the Baptist. We talked a little bit about John the Baptist, and, and actually we utilized some scriptures that appear in the Gospel of Mark just prior to our scriptures from today. Those were, uh, if you want to go back and read them at some point, the verses that we covered were verses uh, 1 through, through, uh, through 8. And in these verses, what we found, we, we found that Jesus was identified as the Messiah. Jesus was identified as the one who had been prophesied about uh, the one who was coming to, to, to be the savior of the world. He was identified um, in those scriptures by two means as the Messiah. He was identified through some words from the prophet Isaiah. 
and he was also identified by John the Baptist. So sub subsequent verses between, between what we talked about Advent and, uh, and what we are going over today, we learn about the baptism of Jesus. Uh, and then we fast forward a little bit into today's scriptures. So just for a minute, I want to talk about these first couple of verses that we're going over. Uh, but I want to spend the majority of the time focusing on verses 16 and 20. So in verse 14, again, we read this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news or repent and believe the gospel. So as we back up just a little bit, there's a pretty good jump here. There's a pretty good jump in, in, in the telling of, of this story that we find here in the Gospel of Mark. Again, the book of Mark begins telling the story of John the Baptist. And, and it, within this story, um, Jesus again is identified by John and he is identified by uh, some prophecies, some prophetic verses from the book of Isaiah as the Messiah. The next thing that we get in verses 9 through 13 is we get the story of the baptism of Jesus, and then we lead up to where we are today in the scriptures. And there's a jump here. There, there, there's a jump in the narrative between, between uh, Jesus' baptism and, and where we land right here in today's scripture. Uh, where John, where we begin... In verse 14, that reads, after John was put into prison. So let me explain to you a little bit what's going on there. So after Jesus was baptized, uh, John, was, John the Baptist was eventually put into prison. As some of you probably know, he, uh, he, he, he did not favor the marriage of King Herod. Uh, John was not a man to mince words. <laughs> and uh, King Herod did not care for, his, uh, for, 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 for John uh, belittling him so much and... Uh, and, and uh, for his, for his uh, sinful marriage to his brother's wife. So John the Baptist was subsequently uh, tossed into prisons. So we land in today's scriptures knowing that John is in prison. And you can get that story in other portions of the gospel if, if you're interested. But subsequently what we, what we read is that Jesus went into Galilee. The scripture tells us Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news or the gospel of God. Once more from verse 15. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus repents or preaches three things here that I want to point out very quickly. Just in this one verse, we, we see some words that stand out. Jesus preached repentance. He preached the gospel. He preaches the kingdom of God. All of which, by the way, are the gospel. Jesus preaches repentance. He preaches the gospel or the good news and he preaches the kingdom of God. The time has come, Christ said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news or repent and believe the gospel. Now, if you have been listening or if you've been attending Broxton or Oak Grove or any of our churches or listening to any sermons over the last year, year and a half, uh, I have talked a lot about the gospel. So I don't, I, I can't really go and I, and, and, and I love talking about it. Uh, so I really don't feel like I can go any further without talking about it once more, without talking about the gospel, the good news.
because that's a word that gets, that, gets, that gets thrown around a lot. The word gospel gets thrown around a lot. And I just want to make sure that our churches um, and that you, if you're not a part of our church, that we have a, at least a base understanding, a good understanding of what the gospel is. What do people mean when they, when they say that word? What do they mean, they mean when they talk about the good news of Jesus or the gospel of Jesus? Here we read in no uncertain terms that the gospel is an invitation into God's kingdom. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is an invitation to us into God's kingdom. I talk a lot about how short-sighted our gospel or our idea of the gospel very often is because I believe that we have minimized the gospel into a gospel of eternal life only. In other words, here is what many of us believe to be the gospel. That Jesus died for our sins, and if we believe in him, we get to spend eternity in heaven when we die. That is most certainly part of the gospel. But it is by far, by far, by far, not the entirety of the gospel. There are multiple examples throughout scripture how the early church preached the gospel. You can find it in the words of Peter. In his many, many sermons in the book of Acts, you can find it in Paul's writings. The gospel of eternal life only would be a gospel that, that early Christians would not have recognized. Early Christians recognized that when Jesus preached the gospel and when they preached the gospel, that they were preaching the gospel in its entirety. They were preaching the gospel that Jesus is preaching here in these words today. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Don't live a life believing only in a short-sighted gospel that gets us into heaven after we die. That is a wonderful thing to look forward to. It is a wonderful thing that we are going to have a future um, in the afterlife with our Creator. But that's not the whole story. That is not the whole story by far. The good news, the gospel, of Jesus Christ is that we can live into that today. We can live into God's kingdom today. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that invitation. It is that invitation that we have to be residents of God's kingdom on earth. And that's what you're going to find out, and that's what I'm trying to get at a lot when I talk about the Sermon on the Mount, because we get a glimpse. We see what, what, what God's kingdom looks like through the words of Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount, the gospel, the kingdom of God, is a kingdom where enemies are forgiven. It is a kingdom where we do not retaliate, where we do not seek revenge. It is a kingdom where there is no violence, where there's no violence in our hearts, there's no violence in our words, there's no violence in our actions. It is a kingdom where the light of Christ shines brightly and dispels all the darkness in the world. It is a kingdom that is flavored with the salt of the love of Jesus Christ. Don't short sight, don't shortchange yourselves believing in a half gospel. What a wonderful invitation that we have. What a wonderful invitation that we have as Christ people to take up residency in our primary home, our primary country, if you will. And that is the kingdom of God on earth. I remind our congregation all the time when we pray the Lord's Prayer, think about those words. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on 
earth as it is in heaven. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that gospel. We get to be a part of that good news of Jesus Christ living into the kingdom of God while we are here on earth. So keep that in mind when we talk about the gospel. Think that in mind, keep that in mind when we, when we read those words today, when we read that Jesus says the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the gospel. Don't settle for a minimalized understanding of what the gospel invitation is. So with that, let's go ahead and move forward because what I really want to concentrate on today are verses uh, 16 through 20. And while we're doing this, though, before I read these scriptures, I want you to think back over these last three weeks that we have been talking about the Sermon on the Mount and what it looks like to love as Jesus loves through the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to think about those very, very difficult directives that we have discussed. I want you to think about those instructions that Jesus gave us in the sermon that we've talked about over these last few weeks I want you to think about Jesus' directions, Jesus' commandments to love our enemies. I want you to think about Jesus' directive to pray for those who persecute us. I want you to think about Jesus' directive not to respond to hurt, not even to respond to violence through vengeance and through retaliation, but through radical gracious, life-giving love, and I want you to think about living as the light of Christ and what it means to flavor the world with Jesus' love while we're reading these scriptures. Again, verses 16 through 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. And when he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. So what we're getting here. In these few verses, verses 16 through 20 in the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, is the Gospel of Mark's narrative, or the Gospel of Mark's story, of the calling of the first disciples. This is, this is, this is, this is the narrative that we get from the Gospel of Mark about the first disciples of Jesus Christ, the first disciples that were called by Jesus Christ. And there were four of them that we read about right here in these, in these few words, in these few sentences. There was Simon who some of us probably know later became Peter, or was renamed Peter. So there was Simon, and there was Andrew, and there was James and John, who are, who are identified as the sons of Zebedee. But what I want you to do, because on the surface this just may seem like a story you've heard a hundred times, but what I want you to do is I want you to pay careful attention. And I want these words in these few short sentences to really sink in. And I want you to look at how these men responded to the call of Jesus Christ. Look at Simon and Andrew in verse 18. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Look at James and John 
They left their father Zebedee in a boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Now, if you attend Broxton United Methodist or Oak Grove or Mary's Chapel, or if you've ever attended here, or if you've ever uh, listened to any of the online sermons, you'll know very well that I like, I like to focus on words. I like, I, I like to read every little word in, in Scripture, and I like to ingest it, and I like to digest it, because I think words are very, very important. Sometimes those, some of the most important words that we find in Scripture are the ones that we tend to gloss over without giving it a whole lot of thought. But words are important. Words are important because there's a reason that the author of these scriptures puts them there. I'm going to reread these one more time, and I want you to look once more of how these first disciples responded. Simon and Andrew... Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. What are the next words? At once. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Look at James and John. Without delay, Jesus called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. And they followed him. There was no delay. There was no delay on the part of these four men when Jesus came and he said those two simple words, follow me. Now the Bible doesn't tell us their intentions. The Bible doesn't tell us their motivations. The Bible doesn't give us the why here. But for whatever reason, these four men gave up everything that they knew of their lives. They gave up all of their entire sense of security. They gave up their jobs. In the case of John and James, evidently, they gave up their dad. They dropped what they were doing in the moment. And they immediately left their former lives. And they became Jesus' first disciples. They gave up everything they knew. In an instant, in a moment, they left behind their former lives to become disciples of Jesus Christ. So as we reflect back now on those hard, hard directives from the Sermon on the Mount, loving our enemies, praying for those who persecute us, not responding when people hurt us, through revenge and retaliation or through violence, but responding in love, life-giving, gracious love. When we consider those commandments, we consider those directives, we ask ourselves this question today, given the example from our scriptures in Mark, from Simon, Andrew, John, and James, we ask ourselves, how do we respond when Jesus asks us to follow him? How do we respond when Jesus says, love your enemies? How do we respond when Jesus says, when you are hurt, do not respond in revenge and retaliation, but with gracious, life-giving love? Do we willingly submit to Christ? Do we willingly submit and follow him? Do we at least seek 
to some degree, to follow his great commandments, to love God and to love others? Or are we simply content in our walk, in our lives as Christians to get into heaven when we die? Are we simply content to settle for that half gospel that tells us that Christianity is all about getting into heaven? Or do we want more? Does the good news of Jesus prompt us to want more? Does the good news, does the gift of salvation prompt us to say yes when Jesus says, follow me? To say yes when Jesus says, here are my commands, follow me. To say yes when Jesus says, don't look to your sinful human heart to figure out how to walk in this world, but look to my words, do as I say, and follow me. Do we follow Christ without delay, as these fishermen did? Do we follow him without trying to justify anything about loving our enemies? <laughs> or do we just make excuses? Do we tell Jesus, you know, maybe, maybe later. Maybe later I'll love that person. But for right now... It's time for me to wallow in some self-righteousness. Right now, I want revenge. Right now, I want retaliation. Do we stall? Do we try to make deals with God? When we try to make deals with Jesus, do we try to diminish the words and the commandments of Jesus? Or do we, like these four early disciples, drop everything and simply say yes? What about being soft and light, as we talked about last week? Are we flavoring the world with God's love, with the love of Jesus? Are we that light that dispels darkness? And I have to mention this one more time that we talked about last week. Because all of this goes hand in hand. What about our propensity towards violence? What about our propensity? And I'm not even talking about physical violence at this point. What about our propensity towards violence in our words, in our actions? What about our propensity towards violence into what we put out there in the world through our social media accounts? Violence doesn't just mean beating people up. Violence, some of the, some of the harshest violence I've seen in my lifetime comes through words. Do we say yes to Jesus in these matters? as these early disciples did? Or do we simply go our own way? I mentioned briefly earlier Jesus' invitation into the kingdom of God. Well, this is it. This is Jesus' invitation into the kingdom. This is our opportunity to live into the kingdom of God on earth. This is our opportunity to participate in God's work here on earth. This is our opportunity to let others see what God's kingdom looks like. And understand this. Jesus isn't trying to make our lives hard. Jesus isn't trying to make our lives difficult. Jesus is trying to make our lives simple. Look back to the gospel of Matthew chapter 11. Chapter 11 verses 28 through 30. You don't have to look it up right now. I'm, I'm going to read it to you. 
But understand through all of this, as hard as these directives sound, as hard as it is to love our enemies, to pray for people who hurt us, to not seek revenge, to not give in to the darkness of the world, the evil of the world. God's not trying to make our lives hard. Jesus isn't trying to make our lives hard, and he tells us as such. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We have to ask ourselves if we're going to follow the way of the world or if we're going to follow the way of Jesus. Because as we look to the words of the Sermon on the Mount, it seems like an upside-down world. It seems like an upside-down way of being. It seems like an upside-down way of thinking and way of living than we are accustomed to. It doesn't seem natural. It, it, seems, it, it seems to go against our human instinct to love our enemies. It seems to go against our human instinct to pray for those who hurt us. It seems to be our human instinct to retaliate when we're hurt, to get or seek revenge when we're hurt. I would say, once again, as I said last week, that that is also our sinful human instinct. It is also the way the world thinks. Remember the words of Paul, do not conform to the pattern of this world or to the patterns of this world. But renew your mind. Renew our minds into what? Renew our minds into the mind of Christ. And right here in these words, we get the mind of Christ. We know what the mind of Christ is. And it's the easy way. Remember that I used to tell you, or I've told you before, that prior to being called or referred to as Christianity, Christianity was called something else. It was called the way. And you can find that again in the book of Acts. This is the way of Jesus. It's a way of living. It's a way of thinking. It is a way of moving in the world. It is a way of being. It is the kingdom of God. For the early disciples that we read about today in Mark, it was a no-brainer. For whatever reason, and again, we don't know the motivations of those disciples. We don't know why they did what they did. But there was something in Jesus. There was something about Jesus that made them give up everything in their lives. That made them give up their homes, their securities, their, their professions. Everything that they knew in a moment's instant. And they followed him. In, in, in submissive obedience, without question, they just went. Is that what we do when we read the words of Jesus? Clear as day, by the way. Love your enemies. There's not a, there's not a whole lot to argue about that. There's not a whole lot of nuance that we, can, that we can argue about with that one all day. Love your enemies. It's the way of Jesus. Are we going to respond in submissive obedience? Or are we going to make excuses? Because that's what Christ calls us to. And that's what the love of God looks like.
It's the way of Christ. So like Simon, Peter, like Andrew, like John, like James, let's don't hesitate in accepting Jesus' call to be residents of God's kingdom. Because God has, Jesus has, our best interest in mind for one thing. But also because it is the way of Christ, and it is the way that we are called to. And it is, again, this beautiful, beautiful invitation to live, to think, not like the world around us, but in a completely different way. To live, to think, to act in the mind of Christ. He gives us, that ought to blow us away, it ought to blow our minds that Jesus actually gives us the mind of God through his words, through the very words that we have here in what we call Holy Scripture. We can know, we do know the mind of God. We know how, how, how we, God reveals to us in these scriptures, Jesus reveals to us in these scriptures how messed up our thinking is a lot of times. And he also reveals to us the heart of God and how we can live that every day, how we can live into this moment, how we can live into his very kingdom and how we can show that love of God's kingdom to the world. That's an invitation and that is the gospel that all of us should want to receive. Our only answer to Jesus when he calls and when he bids us follow me, our only response is yes. Merciful Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege that it is to worship in your house. We thank you, God, for the ability to worship across the world uh, through our online presence. We thank you for the words of Jesus, even though they are so, so very difficult for us. We thank you, God, that you reveal yourself to us through Christ and through the words of Holy Scripture. We thank you, God, for the invitation to accept to believe and to live the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we as your church learn to live into this gospel. May we as your church want to live into this gospel. May we accept this God as our way of being so that you might be glorified, so that your kingdom might be known. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.